Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. All for freedom and for pleasure, nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. Tears for fears, right? Tears for fears, absolutely. That's the only song I know of theirs from MTV in the 80s. So they've got they got some other really good ones, but that's actually that is a classic. And that is of course coming from DM Dave, our rock and roll DM playing tears for fears everyone wants to rule the world which in in the high school i went to they literally played that every day over the morning loudspeaker that's weird if you listen to the lyrics of the song that is very 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 subversive yeah i I gotta uh... think the principal's like oh yeah it's about everyone has to rule the world wants to rule the world so you have to work harder to rule the world that is not what that song is about (laughs) that song is about everybody else wants to rule the world and you just want to stay there with your friends and enjoy life yeah, that's like when Reagan was using Born in the USA because he was like, it's about the USA and it's great. And you're like, yeah, it, have you listened to it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because they actually, and they played it like, I mean, it's not like one year. Like that was the song in the morning, every morning for like, like four years. The whole, like the whole time we were in. Weird re-education camp or something. <laughs> <laughs> Someone in our school knew what was up. They're like, look, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah this is this, this stuff's all hard and all, but you, you want to enjoy yourself while you're here, okay? Don't. Man. This is high school, you know. You want to, you want to, you want to have a good time while you're here. Which brings us to what we are talking about today, which isn't our high school experiences. <laughs> Thank God. No, yeah, we're definitely not going there. I mean, Tony, you went to the high school around here, too. Did they play t- uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World at yours? They most certainly did not. Yeah, I think this is definitely a – I went to kind of the – I went to sort of the fuck-up high school in the in the, in the, in the uh, county, and I think that was sort of just the thing they did. <laughs> yeah. No, my high school would never do that, but I do remember on the bus every morning in, like, I don't know, eighth grade, let's say, I just ha- we just happened to catch when they would pick me up the um, – Rick, uh, what the hell's his name? Um, Rick Astley song, Never Gonna Give You Up. You it got Rick Gold every morning on your way to school? Every single morning when I got picked up. It was crazy. It became a whole thing for the year. It was very strange. <laughs> yes, but I was Rick Rolled before it was even a thing. <laughs> Rick Rolled on the rolling bus. The schools, the wheels on the bus go round and round, and they're never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Every morning. Every morning. It was very strange. Mm. I actually, I think that we made out okay with the Tears for Fears. I think that re-education worked kind of all right. Yeah, it's just a weird <laughs> one. That is definitely a weird one to be flying. I don't think it was unintentional. I think the P and like I know the I know like the teacher who had who kind of like did the morning announcement and stuff. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. It was like the drama teacher peppering your minds. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think he would, he was throwing out some subversiveness. I think. Right? Oh yeah. So actually, and I'll say, so I went to Harry S. Truman High School in uh, oh. the suburbs of Philly, was which it is. Yes, that's this was Lou Volpe. And Lou Volpe is um what was the name of the show? There was a show about uh, Drama High. Rise. Uh, it was called Rise. The book though, Drama the book is High. Drama High. I and recommend we're... anyone go check it out. It's um a co-worker of mine went there and he got the book and he got Lou to sign it and he let me borrow it because he knew I was into like, you know, musicals and stuff. It was a fascinating read. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. 
That's a, uh, and that was actually my high school. I went, I was on the stage crew uh, when Volpe was there. My brother was an actor. He was in several, he was starred in a couple of the musicals. And we were, so yeah, I, I was actually, I got to be a part of that. It was pretty cool. Oh, that um, is cool. Yeah. That was, makes was, a lot more sense then. Okay. Yeah. It makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> now it makes more sense. You know, yeah. When, with when him, like, him playing that song. That makes yes, sense. Yes. Anyway. That, yeah, he he was he was a little of the uh, little subversive, and he was responsible for the morning announcements. And uh, but also we were in a school where the where the dramas where uh, our musicals were like renowned, like they won awards and stuff. Oh like, yeah, big time. We did we we were doing Sondheim stuff when no one no other high schools were doing it. Uh, so it was actually really cool being a part of because you also saw some really great plays and some really great student empowerment and people coming into their own and actors and singers came out of there. So it was pretty neat. Um, but yeah, so that's that's uh, you know, a little, little 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 like you know six degrees from greatness. <laughs> <laughs> if only that if only if only that uh, that 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 TV show had taken off, maybe the school would be more famous. But of course, they got rid of the school and what the school actually was. And they totally in the TV show, totally, totally. Uh, redid the school. It was nothing like what what, what Truman was, and nothing yeah. nothing like the, what was reality. But you know, that's Hollywood. How, yeah, they Hollywood. can't take it here. They can't take they can't take East Coast blue collar you know high school. They they, they can't do <laughs> that. <laughs> but all right, well, the drag ourselves... question, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> we do. ourselves back to the topic at hand here today. Yeah. Uh, so the reason we're singing Tears for Fears, everybody wants to rule the world because eventually, in your campaign. You will find you want your PCs to rule the world in one way or another. The old, uh, as I say, coming into this, the old King Conan move, where your barbarian moves up the ladder and all of a sudden he's king. And how do you handle that? How do you handle how do you handle giving your players the keys to a kingdom or a castle and lands they have to keep, or maybe they become the head of the wizard college or the or or the thieves guild or whatever they become. But that transition point when you're going from players as adventurers to players as power players in the world you have, mm. what do you do about that? Because it's a really important point in any campaign. And I got to say, once players start getting power, some of them really like it. Some of them don't. And this comes to us from a reader question here today. Jared is back. Jared, thank you very much for the question. And he Jared! Asked, and Jared asks, what do you do if your players want to rule over someplace, be it taking Barovia from Strahd, inheriting the kingdom as part of a secret backstory, or even founding a land of their own? How would you handle this? I do realize you can kind of do this as an epilogue type of thing, but what about when it happens before the game ends? What about leading organizations rather than kingdoms, things like holy orders, crime syndicates, or even companies in the games in the games economy? Thanks in advance for any wisdom you can share. So, I don't know if you guys, I actually have done this a little bit. What about you guys? Have you guys ever put uh, your players in charge of anything more, you know, m more stressful than their character sheets? Well, yes. Um, it was really, I think the important question surrounding this is how much do the players want to delve into it? Mm. I mean, if you, and I have to tell you, if you put a character in charge of an organization and they're not like, yeah, this is my big chance. They're going to hate it. It's going to be disaster. They're never going to check on them. It's going to be like how Doctor Who ran Gallifrey. They're like, you're the president. <laughs> and he's like, I'll be right back. And then he never comes back. Yeah, it's funny. When the question came in, I said, oh, this is exactly. And he, he mentions it in the letter, obviously, because he knows that we're running Strahd. But it's exactly what's happening in how I'm running the second half of Curse of Strahd or whatever we want to call it at this point, because we're past the adventure, um, where in essence, Barovia is now this open land. 
you guys have, for the most part, taken over Castle Ravenloft, for lack of a better term. I mean, you know, I don't I don't think anyone's moved in at this point. Um, and I have at least, at least two players uh, heavily set into Barovia itself with uh, Sir Scar the Paladin being the whole thing with Argonvost Holt and the Knight of the Silver, uh, the Knights of the Silver Dragon. And then Tony's character Hawk uh, with the Cavani tribe and Yester Hill and Cavan and all of that whole story. So they're very much tied into, oh, we got to go and, and kind of take over this area. Uh, I was even tempting with Strahd. I was tempting you guys into trying to see if you would take certain baronies, you know, see if uh, Phineas wanted to take over Balaki and things like that. Certain um, shipbergs is Rovia, you know. So I, I don't know. I think instead it's going to be somewhere in the Feywild, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so this is like right up my alley uh, for right now because I'm currently kind of opening up that world for that opportunity for for you guys, for your party. Yeah. So now for me, going back to um, the last time I did, this was actually back in a second edition game. And that was a game that ran for a long time. Someone we've talked about where like Tony's character became a God of magic. The paladin became, or the cleric became an avatar of their deity. Uh, one of the warriors became the king of a kingdom. He had actually been the exiled son of, uh, of a king. He was cursed with lycanthropy and they drummed him out. And eventually he came back and took over his father's kingdom. Um, had he been cured of the lycanthropy at that point? No, was, no, he was no, still no, an active was, werewolf. No. no, we played him as he was. <laughs> he was, we him, that, he was, was that was a custom race where by that time he had he had gained control of it. He, you know, oh, okay, okay. When and how he became he stopped a eating the farmers. Yes, um, that was awkward. So what I did, I mean, so I think one of the big things you need to do, you need to figure out how, like Tony said, how much control is the player going to exert over that organization. And how are they going to do it? So, I mean, you could have something as intricate as, you know, a daily report. You start the game, you hand him a paper, here's how your kingdom's doing, and he can make decisions about it, uh, he or she. I did not do that that way. I, my players in particular, you know, were, I did it a little more, a little more vignette style. You know, where things would happen to the kingdom like, oh, you know, you, so you have people running the kingdom on the day to day. However, there is an army coming to attack your kingdom. Now you got to step in and try to try to intervene uh, from Tony's point of view with uh, with uh, Alhazred there, the one who became the god of magic. Alhazred's interests were very much in keeping magic balanced and in check and not out of control. So in addition to helping his friends with their things, he tended to get involved if magic ever seemed out of control. So like, so for instance, we had a mad mage. Well, this is something Alhazred has to step in and deal with as part of his responsibilities. The cleric who became the, the avatar of his deity, he literally became, he was the avatar. So basically, you know, he spent his time in, in, in Moradin's hall waiting for what Moradin wanted him to do. And the Moradin set him out to do things. And those things, you know, they would gather the party together and do them. So that was the way I played it was, one, you do have some more resources. Of course, you have a kingdom. They're like, hey, I want to take some people out with me. You can do that. The one thing you got to be careful with is often, like, if you're a king and you take your army out with you against the things that you are fighting at level 18, your army doesn't often stand very long. <laughs> it's a good way. It's a good way to kill a thousand troops or so. So they have resources. You know, they you, you kind of take the you take some of the uh, bands off of like the money they have access to, and like what they can call upon. I mean, if you run a wizard's college, you can summon a bunch of wizards. 
you can have several wizards. You can have some NPC. You know, there's NPCs around it too, like you know the court treasurer and 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 the head of the, the the head of the guards and the and the general running your army. So these things become other things the players can interact with and other resources they can use. But on the flip side, when I run it, the players also now gain a bunch of responsibilities and things that are going to basically keep them adventuring through level twenty. That's kind of how I've run it in the past. When I'm looking at this, I kind of uh, break it down into three points with a sub point on three. Uh, the desire to delve into this. If they actually mm. want to be vested in the kingdom, they want to be part of it and they want to get their hands in it. And then, like, for example, Barovia. Barovia has had some bad previous management. We're going to turn this around. Like, really? Can a hawk and scar fuck this up? Not worse than Strahd. It's impossible. I mean, seriously. Um Especially with a lich as your next door neighbor, right? I mean, Strahd really was the worst. I mean, worst king ever. That lich is charming. Uh, However, this does change. My next point on this is it changes the focus of the game. Instead of saying, hey, we can freelance, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Well, hey, now there's new things on the agenda, like Thorne was saying about other armies, other kingdoms, internal problems that will change what is happening in your game. And the third point Thorne did touch on is resources. At low level, this could be really tricky because for a low-level character, having, being able to summon a dozen soldiers to go handle a problem does change things dynamically. But at later levels, it really has a lot to do how power works in your kingdom. So the question is, is 20 footmen with pikes, are they are they formidable? at this stage of the game, or are they going to get like sneezed on by this fire breathing Hydra and turn to ash? And, yeah. do you, and do you let the player make them formidable? Cause that's actually a big thing. You know, it becomes a, 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 a new place. You can kind of put mechanics and like a new aspect, almost new mini games, but you can, you're kind of in control of how much power does this King have? Like if you say to the king, okay, yeah, you know, your average soldier is a third level foot soldier and your knights are fifth level, but you have the king's guard who are hand trained by you and they're, I'll let you bring them up to level 15. Well, now you you give him a a powerful force if you want to do it that way. If not, then the the rest of the army kind of becomes a liability or becomes something that fights different kinds of actions. You know, they kind of fight the holding action while the hero, while the king whose hero goes off and fights the main battle, you know? Hmm. I will say, Tone, what do you think? Because um, the first thing that came to my mind when we started talking about this um, was something you talk about a lot, which is it lets you do something with your gold, right? So I kind of like the idea, right? I like the idea of when you move to this point where back in the day you would have, you know, you'd get to your name level and you get a keep and you get followers and people just want to start to hang around you. Very King Conan style, right? People just started wanting to hang around this dude because he was on his way up, right? Well, Conan became king by his own hand. That's well, yeah, sure. And before that, he also he had a king. wizard just hanging out with him and not like a the chief. And... Not in the books. No, no, but we're not talking about the books. We're only I'm talking, talking about, about the, but the books is where Arnold it Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> there's a whole series of posts on how conan and so what i will say is in the novels and at every promise. step conan takes his own command so for instance conan goes from he gets he gets uh crucified he gets caught doing something he winds up getting caught and the king crucifies him and a bandit leader like a kind of a warlord comes by and finds him and cuts him down 
and he cuts them down and lets them fall, which might kill Conan, but Conan's too badass, so he doesn't die. But <laughs> so basically, Conan joins this group, moves up in this group, becomes a second in command, and then eventually overthrows the guy, puts him up on a cross. It says, okay, I'll cut you down. If you don't die, you can you can live. And of course, that guy's not Conan, so he dies when he falls. Um, oh, but that's like Conan, Conan in the books at every stage becomes like he becomes a warlord in his own hand. He becomes a king by his own hand. Like he right. takes everything he gets, which right. is a little different than kind of letting them take over a kingdom. Oh, sure, sure. Um, but the point, but the idea of you get your stronghold you get your keep right people want to start following you You start to build a following of these people and townspeople and soldiers and everyone else so that does and that's one of the mechanics that would be interesting for me is it does give a vehicle for all of this stupid level of treasure that you start to amass at those levels there's only so many massive magic items that they're going to want to buy at 10 grand and 20 grand right but this where okay that daily report I need you to give me this much gold that comes off your sheet, right? And it doesn't have to become a whole like do your ledger and you give me a PL, right? That sounds very but <laughs> but it can be an idea as to it makes you want to have to go out and adventure or send your people out to adventure to like we need to feed this kingdom, man. You know? Well sounds like we're talking about choices. You know, it's interesting because I kind of see it almost the other way, because a kingdom generates tax revenue. So, I mean, traditionally, any kind of land you own generates revenue. So, if anything, I almost feel like the kingdom should be kicking revenue back to the player rather than the player just kicking money into the kingdom. Like, maybe the player does at certain points. Like, maybe you're like, okay. In the you initial. Upgrade, you, know, you build. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's things where it's like, you know, it's like the money accumulates over time, but the player has big expenditures they want to make. And that's maybe a combination of funds. Mm. Like, okay, if you want to upgrade your walls to adamantine walls, well, that's going to be a billion gold pieces, you know, and you're going to need to be saving for a while. And you have to find, and you have to get the adamantine. You you need to find Forge from X-Men to make it for you. (laughs) I mean, because that's the kind of thing, like, because you almost, if you think about it, like, they now have access to, they can sit around, they can just sit around and make money. Because they, if, if it's a decent kingdom, I mean, they'll have tax revenue coming in. They'll be able to charge tolls and tax people for selling in their market. So theoretically, they should now be getting regular income from Get that, even if it's not of, a mini game of civilization within your D&D. <laughs> a little. It can be. It can be. If nothing else, I would give them a revenue stream, even if it pales in comparison to what they get from adventuring. Yeah, precisely. So they're bringing in tax dollars in from the local fishermen. I mean, I'm sure that's really going to get you that plus three sort of sharpness you were really pining out. It is too silver. <laughs> but, I mean, in all seriousness, that does lead to choices you need to make within the game. Like, coming up on the docket, we have a Davis Teasers, a magical item shop we can go to. But wait, we have a kingdom. I've said absolutely nothing. What are you talking about? Okay, nothing we'll keep that under our hats. That's <laughs> but... So are we going to go and invest all this money in the infrastructure in Ravenloft? Or are we going to go buy things we need to continue to adventure with? These are more player choices. And yes, I would look at like a startup business. I mean, unless you're, an, you're, a, you're a prince or a princess of a kingdom that's running fantastically. I mean, everything's wonderful and, you know, the coffers are stuffed. Then, yeah, you're getting income stream. Even that, though, what is that the best going to be monthly? You can collect some money. Mm. I mean, it's not like it's, you're getting Venmoed. Yeah, I mean, it basically would be money going in the coffers that you would have access to, 
And if you run it well, it should be it should be significant, but it should be significant over the course of like a year. You know, it shouldn't equal what you get from one adventure in a month. It should be like over the course of a year, you're maybe going to get adventuring money. You know, it, it, it accumulates. I would also say you do have a lot of room here to do kind of almost mini game type things. Like you could basically turn it into, all right, we want to have a magic item shop in our village or in, in my kingdom. So I have to go recruit a magic item salesperson, someone who dabble, who, who, who is connected to these realms in these in these networks and will bring magic items in. And then maybe you need to spend money to upgrade his shop. Like maybe when you first install to get the magic item vendor to move in, he only has access to like common and uncommon items. And then you have to, you know, upgrade the shop or support him. So he has access to rare items. And then maybe you need to support him again. And he might have access to legendary items. Yeah. You know, you can kind of build up like that and do things you could. I mean, a kingdom's going to have armorers and weaponsmiths you've never had access to before. You could maybe allow that player to now start directing them in technology development to to create improved weapons and armor that you want to give pluses to or something. You know, there's a lot of room to let them upgrade things and add to their characters uh, in a way that could totally break the game if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Extra Thanner? He'll come and open up a magic item shop for us. Oh, I bet he would. <laughs> Now he's currently at work uh, rebuilding his wizard's tower. Yeah, that friendly guy. The low, low price of one he's, soul a night. He he's been be very. He was been very helpful for you guys. You know, he helped you out. He gave you a lot of information. He probably has he, more information if you need it. He didn't kill us when we were low level. I mean, there's a lot of things happening here. True. Yeah, he, yeah. he did try to blow us up with the wagon. Or is that not his fault? No, that totally was not him at all. Um, the wagon's just booby-trapped otherwise, and he just left it for Yeah, us. no, the wagon is actually so, because uh, it doesn't matter now, because she's dead, and the wagon's blown up. But that's actually Esmeralda's wagon. So Esmeralda is Rudolf Van Richten's protege, in essence, in the game. She can come in as an NPC. She can be an ally, too, depending on the Taraka deck pull that you got. You guys got Sir Godfrey instead, but you can get Esmeralda, right? So I was playing around with where did I want this person? Because I got I didn't want you guys rolling with a lot of NPCs in the beginning, you know, because I wanted you to kind of have to do it on your own, other than having to carry, in essence, Arena around for a couple sessions, right? Uh, but that's Esmeralda. And I had her hanging out at the Wizard's Tower, which was Van Richten's, who you did not, unfortunately, fully meet. You kind of met him, but not fully. Pretty he hasn't revealed himself, you know. Yeah, so so you basically set, set Exathaner off to immediately kill two of the most interesting NPCs in the game. Yeah, well, we were kind of at the end game there, right? So I was like, <laughs> I don't want that. Like, they're they're done. So I'll just this is an easy way for me to just kind of wipe them off the board so I can start fresh in a way. Murder most foul. <laughs> yeah, but you guys got even cooler ones because tell you the truth, it's weird in Strahd. This is slightly an aside, but it fits into what we're talking about because Exothanter is now a power in your neighborhood, in essence. And you guys have a burgeoning relationship the with this. I'm very happy about this. In your neighborhood. In your neighborhood. In neighborhood. Yeah. So Strahd's weird because they actually have two different liches in the adventure. So they have Exothanter who is hanging out in the Amber Temple for no reason, and he's, you know, his he's foggy and has mind blank on him, right? So you have to restore him. Then you also have Kazan, who's different than Kavan. So Kazan has the uh -huh. Wizard's Tower, and he was another lich from the, and it's just like what who guys get in a room, 
at the end when you have all your drafts done and just talk to each other. Have a little brainstorm. <laughs> this is how we can fit it together, make it easier for our DM. We have two liches in Barovia, both of whom squash Strahd and power level. Right. It makes zero sense. So, in essence, I said, you know what? Kazan's gone. Exithanter's the guy. He's now in the Amber Temple. Boom. There it is. So did they lose the rights to Aslan? Like, what the hell happened here? Or was actually Thanos right, trolling me to yeah, think no. he was Aslan? Yeah, no, Aslan. they did not use Aslan at all, which is funny because I know you were you kept waiting for that dude to show up, right? Yeah. And just drop it to late blast. So in essence, I feel like Exothanter is like a, a, the new version, let's say. I thought that was 2CS Lewis with Aslan. Okay, fine. <laughs> but I will say, with that, in terms of how I'm approaching it, I'm... Since it's still a little bit new for me, with this group especially, I'm doing it a lot of the ways that I did the rest of any kind of plot development or story development was I'm trying to let you guys drive it, and then the responsibility will follow if you drive it there, right? So I see the ideas of Arkham Rules, Tolton, Yester Hill, and blah, 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 and Castle Ravenloft. If you guys decide to go and, and pursue that, awesome. It tells me that's where they want to take the story, at least partly. If you don't, no problem. And then, Thor, I would th say it's much more the way we're playing it currently, at least in Woodstock, with us being the Wardens of the East at Dunoestra. Yeah. Uh, is that, yeah, we have a keep, we have a castellan, we have a, a militia. We've done a couple things to try to save our area with the Black Dragon all. But for the most part, it's kind of just doing its own thing while we're out doing adventuring things, right? Well, Unless we decide to drive the story there, right? But we didn't, so there it is. And to be honest with you, that's a little bit historical, too. And I'll tell you, one of the secrets of kind of the way Keeps worked in medieval times is they would hand those out to different people. You I mean, you, that might be your ancestral keep or the Lord may decide, the king may decide, no, you're trading these keeps. So the keep needed to have that infrastructure there so they could pop the lords in and out and still have an effective defense so like the land like there was always going to be a castellan or someone running the keep who is basically making sure that it's collecting all of its money right. and making sure that the lord gets its money because if the lord doesn't get his money that's one thing if it's like your own like if it's like your own ancestral manor and you're not collecting the money well that's bad on you but it doesn't hurt the king if it is like a military keep that's there for defense and it's not collecting the money it's owed from its land from from the people on its land yeah. well now that impacts the ability to raise an army and that cannot be so like that stuff historically in many cases i mean not everyone runs it the same way but in many cases would be like that yeah. Like you would show up at your castle and you'd be like, you'd have a castle on or you'd have someone who runs a castle come up and be like, OK, here's what we have. You know, we have a meeting. I break down all the all the incomes. I break down all the expenses. You have basically a CFL. And then you also are going to have someone who's going to run your your troops. So once your troops are run and you, someone's handling your estate, well, you can go, you know, spend your days hunting whatever. or whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you can go adventure. So that is a way you can run them. But with this also, an, an odd resource that people don't consider is how many NPCs are you prepared to run? Because if you just start spamming these, they all blend together. You have a lot of un, un, nondescript men and women running about your castle. This is my man-at-arms, Daryl, and yeah. my other man-at-arms, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> you need just enough NPCs to make it feel like a living, breathing castle and not enough that you're going to go crazy remembering who's who. Like you're going to need like someone who runs the castle. 
you're going to need someone who runs the military, who like like the general, whoever the general or, or commander is of the garrison. You're going to need maybe a couple, maybe the commander of the guard, you know, someone who just runs your personal guard, maybe some scullery maids who like they they, they talk uh, to, but just I a always, couple. I constantly reference back to this because I think it holds so many examples of it, but. Like, at least, I mean, the books, too, but the movie versions of Lord of the Rings, right? Like, who do we really know in Gondor or Rohan or any of these areas? We know a couple NPCs that we want to deal with, and then everyone else is just some faceless guy, number one, you know, faceless lady walking by, number two, right? It's just people, you know? Well, how many people did Aragorn get to know while he was there, right? I mean, because you're experiencing it as the character, and the character's busy. Yeah, you're not going to walk around, and you are? Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. (laughs) He can't introduce himself to all of Gondor. But real quick, Tone, I know you want to make a point, but that is what your D&D party is going to do. So with that said, be ready for that. To have to have man-at-arms Daryl and my other man-at-arms Daryl. So, you know, have some preparation for that at least a little bit. So one of my trade secrets on this is that I like to have a name bank at the ready. So that you're like, hey, I want to find um, the quartermaster. Who is this person? Okay, name bank, and then their title, and then I warp what they look like around that. Yes, um, absolutely. So, because there's nothing more awkward when you have seven people staring at a table and they just go for the random person you were expecting to talk to. And they're like, what is this person's name? And I'm like, Galfafarian. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's uh, why um, I always – and I'm going to put an asterisk on always have a names list on behind my screen or wherever. I always have a list of people, right? Just names in that area. Like in Barovia, I had Barovian names. I took all the ones that they had in, in Strata. I just took them all and put them in there just in case, right? So they fit. I always do that until Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. And I told this story. They came up on this caravan that they were tracking to find this serial killer. Doesn't really matter. That's not the important part of the story. I didn't have my names list. So the four people, along with the two named NPCs that they're following, turned into the closest D&D name I had was Eric with an A. So it was A-R-I-K, right? The others were Jerry, Bert, and I believe Tom. Um, So there you go, everybody. Even even the best laid plans, okay? So it's okay. You just have to stick with it because they remember Eric with an A now. You know what yeah. that's like when you're in a game and you click on a character and you see it's just a commoner and then you see a <laughs> named person. You're like, ooh, let me go talk to the named person. <laughs> so woeful. Commoner. <laughs> Nothing to see here, commoner. But you can't do that. That's the beauty of the RPG, right, is the ability to go up to Commoner and have them be a living, breathing person that's going to lead you to some new adventure that the DM didn't have planned at all. And I totally broke the game. And now we're on this whole new this whole new adventure that never would have happened. Right. I'm not just moving my plot drop to this person. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's how we all know it happens. But right. I mean, there's so there's a there's a level. Players need to feel like they have that agency. And then you bring them back to your plot. I would say as a rule of thumb, I try not to have more than five uh, NPCs in any one place. Yeah, that I'm trying to run. That I'm trying to remember. I think that you know, even five is a little much. Maybe like keep it under five if you can, because once you get beyond that, like how do you keep them straight? You can have great notes, but 
like that's just way too much processing power you're expending. I think. I think I think five's your limit. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. It really depends how long you're going to spend in this place. Like if you were going to create a central location where they're really going to log some time. When I ran the school of Necros, all the professors were named very Harry Potter-ish before Harry Potter was a thing. And then that made sense because the NPC who was learning magic was there for years and then came back and ran quests and stuff like that. But yeah, otherwise you're blowing through here once, two, two or three names, tops, we're done. Oh yeah, because the story itself will create the rest of the NPCs that matter. I mean, like when you go, if you guys head back into Barovia, you know a lot of people. You know people in the village of Barovia that are integral to you having, you know, met them, worked with them, whatever. In Velaki, Yester Hill with the Kabani tribe, you have, the, I mean, there's so many people that you've now in, invested yourself with that that makes sense. But we've already played with them. So as I'm coming in, I can, I get a sense of who they are, what they do, what they think, what they think of you, that type of thing. So it makes it easier that way. What do they think of us? The NPCs are passing judgment on the players? Always. What kind of communism is this? Always, always, always. Even and more not, just, the not the characters. They're passing judgment on you, the players, in the metaverse. Like, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> it. Kill them all. <laughs> Presumptuous peasants. So to what extent, I mean, so we've talked a lot about kind of creating the scene, but to what extent do you kind of employ mini games or things like that or build up kind of the opportunities to build up and create stuff. I mean, do you do that when you do these kinds of, uh, when they take over a kingdom? I think that could be fun if you get a really strong feel that they are going to be vested in that. Like, for example, if we make our plans into Dave, we are going to take time and return to Ravenloft and we're going to consolidate our power and things like that. I wouldn't be surprised if he had mechanics that then followed that. It doesn't have to be like literal, like he created a board game. But there then would then be some things like we're trying to recruit people. Uh, and, of course, what we could do in the beginning would be limited. For example, Hawk wouldn't grab a bunch of Cavani tribesmen and be like, yeah, we're going to go knock over something. Like, no, because they're they're low-level barbarians. They're not there. Now, if we start, you know, we, we have a military academy, we start um, the Silver Dragon uh, stronghold over again and start recruiting people, getting appropriate weapons, start laying the foundation for that. If we were really like going to create a standing army to protect the air quotes borders of our new kingdom, well, that's different. You found the Hulk Morgan redneck wrestling school? <laughs> that is catchy. <laughs> Forgotten Realms Wrestling. Um, it's funny because catchy. there's a couple things that we're starting to do as we head into high level play and all the campaigns that is exactly this type of thing where you start to build out new mechanics or little mini things because you finally have the opportunity to play with that. Like we just did the big mass battle in Woodstock. We're at a point where that makes sense now. That doesn't yeah. make sense when you're level five. I, for me, it does. that doesn't make a lot of sense. But now you can start to play with, oh, well, how do I want to do, in essence, like maybe I want to do a little minis game within it for mass battle. Maybe I want to build up some kind of mechanic for a stronghold. What do I have to do to build it? How do I find people? How do I recruit people? Where, unfortunately, because I think it was really cool where we all were taking our characters, but at the end of Storm Kings, we did it very much like what Jared was saying. We did it in the epilogue. 
you know we actually even did it i think on an episode here during the the player wrap-up right where we all kind of went around and said like where's yang now where's roderick now where's mina now where's rome where's jacob right that did happen at the table and then we did talk about it again during the during the wrap-up and by the way all this stuff is on our web is on the uh is on the website so you can go listen to our DM and player wrap-up of Storm King Slender. Those are both podcasts. The minis rules are there as an article. You can go look them up if you wanted to see how we did that. Um, but actually, I'm kind of curious. That, that dovetails with something I'm curious about because Zhang, at the end of that, yes. basically said, look, I'm king now. I'm going to – like Zhang, and, and like so like the, the Storm King said, well, how can I help you? I said, I would, like my own, I would like my own area to be king of. And he got an island chain, and he's turned that into basically a naval power – where he is now ruling the seas and charging fees and raising armies. And right, he will right. use that to go conquer other kingdoms. He he is a warlord now, Zhang the warlord. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious how that's going to, because we actually have Zhang coming back in an all-star game in a couple Shh. weeks. Ooh. And I'm curious, Tony, do you plan to let me use any of that? Like, can I come in with like six ships and like, you know, three henchmen or something? Absolutely. Yes. There's going to be a huge naval battle complete with full scale models. Oh, but I don't want to be a naval battle. I want to sail up on my ships. I want to sail up in my iron ships, like something out of Avatar. You know, kind of march down with like you know, flanked by flanked by other warriors. Jang is the king now. You yeah. may the find the terrain I've selected to be challenging for that, but I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> no, it's awesome. But that's the type of thing, right? So Zhang is. Has an island chain. He's becoming a warlord. He's building followers. He's building a navy. He's like maybe he's building a navy that hasn't fully existed yet. Maybe he's trying to build even fancier ships, better warships. Right. Roderick, though, is heading back to Drogal Manor to, in essence, rebuild a dying nobility and that and kind of re you know, put himself back onto the map. So like they're all doing these interesting things that are very different in terms of the game and how nitty gritty and mechanics driven do you want to make it? And that's what I was saying. Let them drive the story and the responsibility can follow. I mean, we kind of we're kind of skipping over the important thing about about uh, Roderick, though, that he's returning to his manor with the Ring of Winters, one, the one ring, <laughs> which is essentially maybe corrupting him. Yeah. So, you know, he may be he, he may he may be the new rising big bad in this world. Who knows? It's possible. I, 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 I did tease him slightly in the Strahd campaign. So. I, I did see a meme where it talked about how when Gandalf realized that uh, Frodo had the one ring and it was like, what? it's the same analogy if like some dog you knew stole a nuke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me just guide this dog along a journey because his people are so wonderful. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the, it's, the wise find out is like, you got the what? <laughs> you found the what? <laughs> Excuse me? Oh, Christ. We'll need to be taking that from you now because we can't trust you with that. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm curious. I mean, I would like there to be some kind of thing recognizing Jang as king. Uh, and I don't know how Tony plans to kind of play that out, but I'd like there to be something. As a player who kind of, you know, we, we kind of rode off into the sunset in kind of the middle high tiers. Yeah, you didn't get to play in that, like, what am I doing? What's next, right? Yeah. I'd like to have something. I'd like to have some resources, some something that kind of reflects this, that Zhang isn't just the isn't just the uh, isn't just the guy he was. You know that now he is he is actually he's he's actually he's he's seized a kingdom essentially to become you know, carved out a kingdom on the high seas. What you know, would they say? <laughs> they would say, "Who knows what's going to happen?" Hmm. You, you can uh, 
You're the DM. The, the the wonderful thing is is you can actually it's very easy to navigate to Zhang's island chain. You just follow the trail of red in the ocean from all of the bodies that have been. Because dropped. I'm sure that's exactly what King Hecaton wanted. He's like, great, I gave you an island, and now you're massacring people in the high seas. That's cool. All right, back to the back Hold to the on. He's not massacring people in the high seas. He is bringing order and protection to lands that were dangerously vulnerable to, to to giant attack. He he sees weak he sees he sees how these lands are weak and he's bringing them strength. I mean that's not it's not wrong. I mean he's out of line, but he's not wrong. <laughs> I think it's exactly how this is exactly is that exactly how Tokugawa uh, united Japan. I think it's pretty much the same thinking. Yeah. <laughs> we need to protect our home. I mean that's just how it Yeah, is. we we I need to beat you all to protect so so we can be I need to I need to I, I <laughs> It's a very peacemaker attitude. We will have peace. I will kill as many people ass. as necessary to have peace. I will kill as many people as necessary to bring peace. Yes, that uh, is that, 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 that is heroic. That is Yang's approach to uh <laughs> to his conquest. But I mean, so that's the kind of thing player characters get into when they get into this kind of high level. But what we're talking about here is something where we each kind of chose our own way. They weren't exactly thrust upon us, but I guess that does dovetail what Jared's talking about because he's saying he has players who want to take over these organizations and kingdoms and stuff like that. So we've talked a lot about kingdoms. We should probably spend some time talking about these other ideas of like taking over like an organization. How is that different? Like, have you ever had someone take over a thieves guild? Uh, Tony, I'm pretty sure you have. Indeed. Well, that's uh, what, what is a thieves guild? Essentially it is an information network. Mm. So that player now has access to information and you can allow for a degree of intrigue, perhaps, that would not normally be available. And I think that's the what your goal is when you're opening up the opportunity for an organization, uh, for example, is what now, doors now open. Well, if you were doing a wizard's college, then they would have access to different magics, spells, potions. You can see much more now. Not so they're all handed to you. Like, oh, here you go. Here's your pile of stuff. Thanks for coming. But now you get a really good look at what exists at the next tier in your world. Another, an interesting one with that too. Now I have not had someone take over an organization like that. I did in the Slavers Bay campaign have the players murder an incredibly important nodal point of the, like the thieves network in their area. But I mean, it was understandable why they did it. You know, it happened, but yeah. Captain Mercer of the Jolly Punks went down, but regardless, um, well, he, he attacked my friends. I, he absolutely did. He, absolutely he attacked did. my pack mates. That's what happened. Um, the, uh, but uh, that also, like, especially when I was thinking like the Wizards College and Tony said he was doing like the School of Necros. So it was the Hogwarts before, you know, Harry Potter was a thing. And like, when you get into that type of stuff, you can get into a lot of the political intrigue and the jockeying within those things too. So you're maybe not going to just, you don't just come in as the leader of the Teamsters next necessarily. And if you do, there's probably someone else who's kind of bothered that you're just rolling up and now you're the head of something, right? So you can play into some of those political angles of those things. Um, and I think that's kind of fun. You could do that with a wizard's college in the same way. With a wizard's college, and you, for example, for using that, the, the good old dungeon magazine uh, adventure that I, I fleshed out and turned into uh, the foundation of a campaign. We, we should mention that while we compare this to Harry Potter, it's basically Voldemort's Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah exactly. If Tom Riddle uh, was running Hogwarts, <laughs> this is what you would have been looking at. 
But what's interesting there is so you have all these really heavy players in this world. They there there is a dynamic surrounding this. So yes, they know what's going on in different kingdoms. And, and actually, this school of Necros is much more like how the uh, witch's school was like in The Witcher, dare I say, mm. because they're all involved in the different kingdoms. When their problems, they the the monarchs, the lords, the ladies, the, they turn here because th- this is the place where we're going to get answers, like the knowledge that's extremely beyond the normal pale of. I can ask a historian, like, no, this is arcane. Okay, well then I'm going to the Wizards College. That kind of ties up and opens up doors and lets you really go in any direction you you could possibly desire to. That's like uh. Makes me think of the um, oh crap, the uh, the maesters with Game of Thrones. How like they're all in a thing, but then they get sent out to be the, in essence the advisors of you know the kingdoms or whatever, or the Bene Gesserit in Dune, mm-hmm. right? And they get sent out, but they have their own machinations that are happening at the same time. Um, but with like a wizard's college, what made me think we keep going back to Hogwarts and Harry Potter and Voldemort, but I mean Hogwarts, right? Who was it created by? It was created by an adventuring party, right? Godric Gryffindor <laughs> and, and Rowena Ravenclaw, right? Saddler, Salazar. I, I, I'm pretty sure. Were they an adventuring party or were they well, just like four powerful they, wizards? I don't think they were actually an adventuring wizards. party. No, but I mean, you get together from right? Like they're your level 20 adventure before this one. And what did they do? They founded an academy, right? And now that then goes forward. So that's a. That's exactly how you can start something like that, is that your adventuring party says, you know what, we're going to come together. Or the Circle of Eight, where Morden Kanan and all of them, same idea with the Greyhawks. They have power and they know how to use it. Yeah, and they band together and create something to share that knowledge. Until Rary so, ruined it, yeah. Among themselves. <laughs> the what? Until Rary ruined it, yeah. <laughs> So mechanically, what sorts of things would you give the players access to or what sorts of responsibilities would you give them if they're running an organization like that? Well, then naturally, if they're going to assume the mantle, then there is a degree of responsibility that goes with it. And that as the DM, why would you want to even go down this road? It gives you an opportunity then for different plot lines. Perhaps there is some turmoil within whatever guild this is. Like Dave said, perhaps there's somebody who wants, who feels they should be number two or number three. And, you know, that really question your position. Um, in the school of Necros, it was run by twins, uh, uh, Morpheus and Mephista, and they were incredibly badass. Like the next most powerful student was like a mile away from where they were. They were both full archmages. But the point stands that you have to have your hands involved in this to some degree. And if you shirk your responsibility, then there should be consequences. Mm-hmm. Huh. So, and that brings me to, 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 to one of the last questions I have about it really, which is making this fun. Cause I think one of the tricky things <laughs> when you put players in charge of something, when you say, okay, you've got a kingdom now, you've got a wizard's tower. Now you've got a, you've got a wizard school or thieves guild now. One of the tricky things, one of the reasons players aren't always interested in jumping on it is it can just be a pain in the ass. Like it can actually just become an unfun part of your game if you don't give them some pros and cons. How do you make them, how do you make it fun for the player and not just something else that's like, well, if you don't do this thing, we're going to smack you. There are different tiers of leadership. So for example, is, is this person or this group in charge of a town? Are they the mayors? 
Are they lords and ladies? Are they indeed princes or kings? Or are we talking as somebody, the emperor? Like, what are we talking about? And the higher you go up the chain, the more bullshit you're dealing with. You could probably have a town, keep it going, have some guards, make sure it's safe, or like a keep or an organization, have that running unless something unexpected happens. But as you really start expanding your power and your influence, so your time then gets more strongly and uh, demandingly devoted. But doesn't that seem unfun? Like, is that a game you want your, that your players are going to want to play? It really depends on the group. I mean, some people could really be into it. Like Game of Thrones, where they are out there freelance adventuring. Well, at points. But, I mean, there was other people behind the scenes who were actually running the governments. I mean, Game of Thrones was also all about the Game of Thrones. It was all about getting political power. There were there was no adventuring that was not that was not intended to help gain political power. In, in exactly. I would say I would go back to my point earlier. Let them drive the story. Responsibility follows, and that can take many forms. It could be as simple as a role playing thing where. Oh, these things are happening. What do you want to do? Oh, well, uh, have this person handle that. I want to say this and then boom. And then we move on to the adventure, whatever's happening. There are going to be some players, as Tony said, depends on your group. There are going to be some players that are going to eat that up and want to build that out. And my my example here, I'm going to take one from one of the players on Critical Role, uh, Liam O'Brien. He played uh, Vaxeldan, the rogue in the Vox Machina one, but he also played this wizard in their second campaign, Caleb. And he started to write his own spells. He started to research about how they were, so they worked out the mechanics. But then, for instance, like we just cast Magnificent Mansion in Woodstock Wanderers two sessions ago, right? Adelard yeah. cast, and he said, uh, yep, it's a, it's a big mansion and we're gonna have food and drink and there's servants there and we have a big party. Cool, awesome, this is great. Okay, we're doing, now we're going to do this. This guy decided to build out for several sessions worth. I think he was working on it for quite a while leading up to him being able to cast it. Like a hundred room mansion with rooms devoted to certain his his party members and rooms devoted to this and how his servants got around to the different kitchens. So if you have a player like that, they're probably really going to like making a fucking PNL for your fucking like <laughs> town. And like, if they want to go with that, that's awesome. But I would say if it's something like that, where it's one player or two out of the whole group, that's something where they can do that on their own. And even like either side message or in the beginning of the session, just kind of go over it real quick, boom, 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 but not take up time in the session, just developing their, you know, their accounting ledger, as it were. That's a really good point. Because yeah, if you're of infrequent games, not everyone will be probably pretty excited to hear about the renovations you're doing in section D of the rear ring of the castle. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know, to me, I think part of it's gotta be there's also got to be some rewards for this. You know, and that gets lost sometimes when we start talking about all the responsibilities. And because I mean, yeah, as a DM, what do you see when the player takes over a kingdom? Plot hooks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You know, here's a whole new realm. Here's a whole new <laughs> level of bullshit you get to deal with that are going to be great adventures. I see plot hooks. But from the player's point of view, I think it's really important to have rewards in there as well, because otherwise it just becomes a pain in the ass. Like if you want players to engage with this, 
you've got to make it rewarding. You've got to give them resources they didn't have. Maybe, you know, the player who runs the Wizards College gets access to different spells or has, uh, maybe you create a mechanic for him to customize spells or do things that aren't in the book. You know, I think that's actually really important that you just, if you're going to let them become kings and leaders and, and, and merchants or whatever, your CEOs, uh-huh. you have to have, I mean, all of those, the reason people want to do these things isn't just because they want more responsibility. It's because they come with perks. It's and good I think to you be the king. In with the responsibilities. I think it's really important. Yeah. It's good to be the king. It better be. And if it's yeah. not, not, your players aren't going to want to be king. <laughs> the fun <laughs> this also for a point. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> The last thing you want to do is make your players king and have them turn around and say, yeah, this sucks. Exactly. You know? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, like, I want to be king or queen. Well, guess what? You have to fight for it. You know, there is other faction that's not accepting that. There is an invading force that's occupying part of the kingdom. Perhaps that's more of, like, a point in the story achieving that degree of notoriety versus, hey, I have this and it's fun. Just right well, off the bat. I mean, but do they want to have that fight? Like you have to have, re- it's like any other encounter. You need rewards for it. You know, it's not just that they defeated them and became king. It's like, okay, so what, there is no kingdom in the world that the king doesn't get benefits from. Mm. You know, it's good to be king. And you got, I think you got to think that through a little bit too. How is this going to be good for my players to run this organization? Not just, you know, a more shit they have to deal with and more people who want to off them. It's not just, I think if you're going to do this kind of, this kind of like, kind of like higher level kind of name level kind of stuff, it's it can't just be more pain in the ass. I think you need to have rewards and and responsibilities with it. It's got to be it's got to be a combination of the two. I think. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but the, the again, this also depends on what tier they're uh, taking the leadership at, like we like we discussed. And yeah, if they're really truly got to be a king or a queen, well, you know, unfortunately, this is why usually that's a end game kind of point because that's a full it's typically a full-time gig like oh the king's like sneaking out the back door i'm gonna go fight some dragons i'll be back like can you imagine it like if one of the woodstock wanderers was king and they went to go fight that black dragon and then got sucked into that tree and they're fighting the plants and they're fighting the damn and then they're saving santa claus and they come back to their castle six months later so how's the kingdom looking you know actually though to be honest with you though that's not that uncommon i mean King Richard went out on campaign. Like a lot of kings oh, went out on campaign. What a great king that guy was. Jesus. Well, it depends on the type of story, though, too, right? It kind of depends on the type of story that you're running as well with that. What type of king and kingdom is it? I'm thinking right now, I've been watching uh, Last Kingdom okay. on Netflix and all that King Alfred and, you know, the kind of the beginnings of England and whatnot. And, like, being a king then, yeah, he had no time to go out and do – like, so all the adventuring is happening from the dude who's, like, the outlaw that can – you know, he can't even get his lands back fully, right? <laughs> he's still working on his name level, right, Uhtred is. You know, he's the one having the adventures because Alfred is dealing with, you know, serious forces and machinations and, and bigger things. So, yeah, Tony, you make a, you do make a good point in the sense that – that's one of the reasons that some of that stuff is more closer to end game type things. But Thorne, I think you're, that was an excellent point too, where thinking of it like we, the way we think of encounters and stuff, where there's reward either through you know additional story for your character or treasure or magic or something, something that's incentivizing you going forward with this rather than just, oh, cool, I just have to be super stressed. 
and probably die an early death because I'm so like I'm just gonna die of hypertension, you know. Well, I mean, the king consumption. A king is going to have more resources. Yeah, the king is going to have more resources than your average adventurer. Like flat out, like there should absolutely be a big resource increase and a big increase in their ability to have stuff done. Yeah. Like you now have the re- you now have the people on hand to go research spells for you. You now have the people on hand to go do technological research. I think you need to include that. Otherwise, it's not a very fun thing to be running. You know. Well, it's like. And well, I would say, and as as much as like, and as much as the the portrayal, as much as the lost the last kingdom and mm. you know Alfred and Athelstan. They were very stay-at-home kings. You can go through and you can go through history, and you'll find countless kings Tom who were not stay-at-home. Some that weren't, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. So and that's what I'm saying. It, kind it of depends, depends on how on they run their kingdom. Yeah. yeah. What what kind of kingdom are you running? If it's kingdom-based that we're talking about, I mean, again, it, these are a lot of things, organizations and whatnot. Yeah. Um. I mean, Alexander the Great, he was king, and he wasn't home at all. <laughs> but I'm um, thinking, like, yeah, but he was a great warrior versus his amazing governing skills. I well, mean, but he, but, but I mean, that's it's the same thing though. Like that could be the kind of king your players are. Like you don't need to. I think sometimes we overplay the idea that being a king means you now have a thousand responsibilities and never get to go outside. For some kings, that's true. For other kings, it's not. It really depends on how good your infrastructure is and how much of a control freak you are. You know, like when you're talking about kind of like what they're showing in the Last Kingdom, that is them coalescing a kingdom. So he's totally in the fight for. Uh, there is no kingdom here yet, and I've got to make one. I mean, well, they're kind true. of as a kingdom, I mean, but he's trying to consolidate power. So it's all political. He's got to be there. Other kings, though, were, did almost the entire thing on campaign because the more, the, basically, the more loot they sent home, the more popular they were as kings and the more power they had. Just different uh, different ways it could work. Oh, yeah. Think about King Robert Baratheon, right? He could care less There's about all his responsibilities <laughs> or staying inside, right? But I'm also, like, Thorne, you were saying how, like, it should come with a significant resource increase. And I'm thinking, like, in, like, our Marvel game and stuff, like, if you have, like, your normal, like, high-tech adventurer or something in the beginning, but, like, if you then became Tony Stark, yeah. like, that's going to come with a massive thing where now you have a headquarters. Now you have the ability to hire people. Now you have the ability, you know, all these additional things that can assist you in delegating out some of those other things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, because it's like you now have staff. Yeah. yeah. And you have people who will do what you tell them to do because if they don't, you will kill them. Yeah. And you will be totally with your rights. That is absolutely historically accurate. I think across all uh, kingdoms, actually, I think that's one of the one of the constants. You blacksmith, make me better armor. I don't know if I know how. Well, it's either you figure out how to make me better armor, or I figure out how to give the executioner a bonus. You tell me. That is some inspiring leadership, though. Yeah. I would so want to be in that kingdom. I just, I just, you know, to me, it's just like, I just, I. Anything that gets overplayed to me gets a little bit tired. You know what I mean? So like, I don't want to pretend like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to introduce the players into being Kings and then just have them have it just be, well, you've only got it. Your your kingdom runs one way because I don't understand other ways to run a kingdom. Like, because I only saw the last kingdom and that's how that King does it. Man, you read history. I mean, look at Caligula. He did nothing but plan parties the entire time. Like, okay. you could be so, a king or an emperor and have nothing to do with government. It happened. Oh, well, yes. It all, just, 
truly case-to-case basis. Like, here's this amazing yeah. infrastructure you're walking to, like Rome, that's coming off of its, its its glory days here. It's in the golden age after Augustus and then Tiberius. And then that lunatic walks in. Okay, yeah, they've got money to burn. They've got a bazillion troops. No, he can't screw it up. But is that what the party's walking into? The party, like, take, for, I took over Barovia. Okay, right? all of us took over Barovia. Um, there's no infrastructure to manage. I mean, it's not like I have to negotiate these trade routes. There's nothing else around us, as far as I can tell. I mean, we're kind of in a fishbowl. So no, yeah, yeah you're in, you're in a, a one one valley, and they're all in essence little city states within it that seem to operate by themselves for the most part. Like, I, yeah. So unless the Lockheeds go to attack Barovia, they become self-sustaining, you know. For me, the most important thing is I think the players should be able to set up that kingdom the way they want, though. Absolutely. Like, it's what they're walking into, but the players then come in and say, okay, you know, we've worked with this guy and that guy, and I make him this, I make him that, and here's how my kingdom's going to work. And if they build an infrastructure, you should let them build an infrastructure they can go adventuring on. You know, it shouldn't always, it shouldn't just be like, well, I can only envision a kingdom working this way, so that's the way the player's kingdom has to work, because there are infinite where there's there's just you know there have been a lot of different every kingdom's different every king is different in how they do these things and they you know it's just and that flexibility i think is important because you need to let the players tailor the kingdom to something they want to run i like that no i mean that goes back to my point let them drive the story yeah Uh, and then and then respond to that and you can respond with responsibilities but respond with additional things as well you know so that the story can continue because that's what we're doing this for is not as a a case study in in uh, kingdoms civics. and civics, right, and and self government and stuff. But we're doing it in a way that it's fun, and we get to play out the fantasies of this. But part of that is some of the the hard troubles that you have to go through while you're going through those things and overcoming those those adversities and things of that nature. That's what we've been doing the whole time. But you make it fun in a fantastical way. So you get to play all the fun parts of it as well, more so than just the, yeah, just the um, the accounting. As far as I recall, Conan had wore his crown on his troubled brow. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we've been going on for a little while here about what do you do when you uh, get your higher level players or even lower level players up into running these kingdoms and organizations. I think it's time for some final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on how to put players in charge of things? I think maybe if that's something that they're uh, into, then perhaps you start them off as an organization or a keep or a small province to begin working with. And then that can progress over time. That way they have a leadership role. They're involved. Plot hooks are available. Doors are opening. But that doesn't become the whole focus of the game. Because then there's other questions like, is your party running a democracy amongst themselves in there? Who is indeed the king or the queen? There's a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration. But I will end with it does. If you go high enough the chain, it is rather time and energy consuming, because as a Chinese proverb did say, you cannot run China from the back of a horse. Mm, Very profound. A couple points. And stay tuned because, uh, you know, we're actively going into this very thing in Curse of Strahd. So we're going to see how this party decides to approach that type of uh, that type of story. One, I think just on a, on a purely mechanical, easy way, like Tony always talks about, it does give you something to do with your gold 
at least on the front end. You know, building stuff, researching things, hiring people until that big windfall of, of sweet, sweet tax money comes in or whatever <laughs> it might be, right? But it does give a a conduit for some of the treasure that they've amassed to actually now matter. They can make some choices with that. Um, I keep going back to the same point. I say, let them drive the story. Let the responsibility follow that. Because they're going to tell you where they want to go with that story and how deep they want to go into it. Some people might want to, like, they want to make a bar and they want to develop the menu and tell you what types of beer they're brewing, right? I mean, who knows? With some of the posts I read of these parties that are running, I'm just like, all right, man, do your thing. You do you. I love it. And if you're not going to go deep into it, you can go, uh, like we did with Storm Kings, like Jared had said in his letter too, that whole epilogue thing, the where are they now? Because you can always pick up on that, as we very well might coming into this All-Star game, because both Zhang and Roderick, I believe, are going to be appearing. So this might be the first time they've seen each other in God knows how long. They'll have so much catching up to do. Um, you can also go, and this is not a dismissal, in any way, it's the way our group is is going with it. And as Thorin said, that was somewhat uh, based historically in terms of how the keeps work militarily uh, in Woodstock. But I could say you could do the promotion in name only, too. You know, you're the Wardens of the East now. Whoa, that's super cool. I'm going to write that on my character sheet. OK, now let's go on the adventure now. Right. And like we'll get we'll go back to there. and We'll do things. But it doesn't have to be a big part of the campaign session to session. It can just be. That's another thing that you've achieved, and we're moving on with the with the larger story. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Oh yeah, there's not going to be any more story as the uh, Dono Estro. No, I know you know what I mean with that though, right? <laughs> Is that it's not like we're not going into like the nitty gritty of like whatever. No, you know? no. Well, I mean, you have people do that for you. Yeah. Um. So I would also point out though. So this, for me, isn't just a matter of the party members taking over organizations. It's also a matter of the party members becoming players in the world. So right after Dunoestra, you guys had the we, we had the mass combat. You went to another city. Yeah. Uh, you found this vampire you're looking for, and you were going to go out and, and attack. And he was leading an undead army through the north through the northern area of this territory. And they didn't say, okay, you're coming along with us. They put you in charge of legions. That's why everyone had a legion. That's yeah, everyone had had a had a unit in the army, and that didn't just have to do with the with the way I wanted to do it. That is also a matter of the kind of where the players are in the game. The players mm. are now respected at the level of like commanders and generals. They're not being looked at like when they were first when some of them first showed up in this kingdom as just like you know the rookies. <clears throat> they are now they're no longer rookies. They're they're the twelfth uh, thirteenth level. And now they actually have some, you know, people, people respect them, but also expect them to do things like, yeah, we're going to give you the army and we're going to trust you with the army to go defeat this thing. And we're going to hope you don't fuck it up because we think you can handle it, which in some ways is its own, <laughs> is its own curse. But that's actually why the Woodstock Wanderers had those, had, had those uh, forces. Oh, that's a good point. I'm just thinking, General Solo, is your strike team assembled? Like yes. we're not, the, we're not the ruffians anymore. Now we're the fucking generals of the, right? Yeah. That is awesome. it. It exactly. <laughs> I mean, not of the resistance, but of the. <laughs> yeah. of the oh, I love it. 
of, of the not of the of the yet living forces on this world. And so that kind of goes hand in hand. And I would imagine actually there will likely be things that pull you back to Donawestra to deal with your responsibilities there. Um, but you also you do have forces there. Like you guys can take them out if you want to. Mm. You know, they might die. I'm not promising oh. to live. But you guys can totally go back and say, hey, we command this entire force. So we're going to bring them out on campaign with us. You know, you can do that if you want to. That is those are resources at your disposal. Now, you also have the teleport circle we have set up there so you can you can zoop back there when you want to. So like there's a lot of there are a lot of resources that come with the title more than it just being a title and name only. And for me, you know, as my final thought. That's the most important thing. Like, yeah, okay, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with being in charge. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with being a commander or a king or running an organization. And yeah, the player gets that when they do this, but there's also a lot of resources and generally a lot of perks that come with it too. You know, they're, so so there's other things they're going to get. People may gift them high-powered magical items just because of who they are. They may be able to have their own resources, build new things that haven't existed in the world before. So for me, the most important thing is as you have the players going up in level and taking this on is adding that reward function too. you have responsibilities, but they're worth it because that's really, I think, what you have to do. Like, like that's that's how this mechanic has to work. I think, you know, yes, they pick up extra things they got to do. They pick up extra pains in the ass, but they get good stuff with that, that they can use to be better adventurers to gain an advantage on the bad guys. And also they gain access to a whole other level of conflict because now they're, you know, now they are superpowers. Mm. They are players in the world at the, at the, at the top level. And now they get to start meeting some people and, and, and the getting gaining access to other kinds of conflict they didn't have before, which is, which can be a reward in itself, but keep that in mind. You know, what is the upside? Not just what is the responsibility of them having to run these organizations. So, mm. right. So for me, guys, that's a good episode. Yeah, good We're one of this organization, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I mean, we we have we get all the perks of running three wise DMs, which includes <laughs> recording podcasts, <laughs> editing, and taking writing. reader questions. <laughs> but still, it's 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 been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, guys, for 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 another episode. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening at home to another episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this was from a reader question. Jared, who sent us several questions, sent this in and we answered it. So if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, please send it to us. You can send it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com. You can send it to us at threewisedms.com in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can just talk to us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. We're active on all those websites, and we take, take questions from there all the time. So we'd love to hear from you. If you like what you're hearing, please hit the five-star rating button, tell your friends, uh, share a link. All that stuff really helps us grow, and we really appreciate the support. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Bye.